but we prepare every day for the event that they don't. Welcome to the news that you need to know every day here on Full Spectrum Survival, only on YouTube. They already know the day and the time. China knows when it will attack Taiwan. Israel and the United States of America today know the deadline that they have with their militaries of when they will strike the Iranian nuclear uh, weapons program. Russia knows exactly when and what will drive it to use nuclear weapons on European soil. Countries, they know when they will act, but we do not. And so we are at a so-called inherent disadvantage to them. To avoid reacting to what they do, we have to react before they have a chance to. That means that if you want to act first before a Chinese attack on the Taiwan Strait stops the supply of Chinese goods to the European region and the Western region, then you need to use your resources today, right now, to make the purchases that you think you will need when that supply chain halts. This is going, this is uh, called going long on the marketplace where you, as the investor, will profit if the prices of the goods continue to increase and the availability of those goods become more and more rare as we see considerable changes to the uh, supply chain. In short, they know what 2023 is going to bring, but we do not. We only have educated guesses based on what they say they will do based on what they are currently actively doing, historical evidence suggesting the likelihoods of events that will take place, and intuitive decision-making processes. Now let's begin to look at what is happening in this world today. This is bad, says a military watch group warning that Russia is moving and modernizing its nuclear forces. What we are going to see, he says, is Russia improving upon its strategic nuclear forces with advanced deployment of multi-warhead nuclear missiles and further modernization of its long-range strategic bomber division. The Russian Defense Ministry announces this week that the strategic rocket forces, the branch of the Russian military that uh, handles these forces, is set to complete the replacement of its older Topol-M missile system with the RS-24 Yars. This will be among its most advanced mobile groupings. The Defense Ministry also said that the main task of the Long-Range Avia uh, Aviation Division, which is tasked with Russia's nuclear-capable strategic bombers, will be training in new, never-before-seen, during wartime conflict modernization and nuclear weapons preparedness training. In the course of operational and combat training, Russia says, the use, uh, the use of adv advanced aviation weapons is planned. We will work to improve the practical skills of operations using automated control systems and information support for highly precise weapons. These tasks, Russia says, in the year 2023, will be solved with the participation of the Long Range Aviation Division in a special military operation. For the first time since the end of the Second World War under current Russian uh, administration, heavy bombers are car have carried out carpet bombing of densely populated areas, 
This is what the Ukrainian intelligence operatives are saying will happen in the future again if Russia continues its war against European soil. Concerns over the potential use for strategic or even tactical weapons are increasing. Senior Russian military commanders are discussing how and when Russia will use advanced weapons, including nuclear weapons, in Ukraine. In its October report, a national defense strategy paper, the Pentagon presented a dire situation in the nuclear balance between the U.S. and Russia. We will see change soon. Strategists delivering information to Western governments say that there are a handful of positions that could easily erupt into a multinational conflict zone in the year 2023. The first is India and China. Fighting between India and China continues in a region that is considered to be the roof of the world. Thankfully, so far, this fighting has remained mostly limited, but it could break out at any moment. Then we have Turkey and Greece. Over the past year, tensions between these two countries are increasing substantially, driven mostly by Turkey's assertive foreign policy over its region and Greek whereabouts in that region. Any fighting between Turkey and Greece will immediately involve NATO. This will be taken advantage of by American enemies, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. And then we have what's happening in Ukraine. Escalation remains a concern on the minds and the tongues of governments around our planet. Many of them in the know warning that Moscow could soon resolve to a dangerous escalation in order to gain ground against this European-backed country. Russia has reportedly moved its nuclear bomber fleet to a base in, uh, base in eastern Russia, approximately 3,700 miles away from Ukraine, as there is growing concern that Ukrainian support by American uh, weapons could strike deep into Russian territory, removing Russia's ability to act as a nuclear superpower, but potentially unleashing radiation across the planet. It, of course, remains to be seen how this situation will develop, but we have to be prepared for all things to happen. Then we have China and Taiwan. New information shows that China is increasing all modes of military activity near Taiwan. Experts are saying that if China continues to send its warplanes into the Taiwan uh, defense identification zones, as it has in the past uh, 72 hours, we will see a conflict between the USA and China in the coming months, if not sooner. China is in a position that they have to act, warns one Western strategist, before saying that as China speeds its own timeline up, we can uh, expect the USA to continue preparedness to counter Taiwan or to give Taiwan its backing to the best of its abilities. As you know, Taiwan is an independently governed country as it stands in Western understanding today, and that China views Taiwan as a breakaway province of China. The USA will have to maintain its commitment to defend Taiwan's sovereignty. In recent weeks, China is preparing in all modes to take over Taiwan. This includes sending warplanes into the defense zone, sending its, uh, uh, its other Navy, Air Force out, sending its military to do reconnaissance, sending drones over. Fortunately, there is some 
uh, understanding that we will have a warning before war takes place, as was the case with the Ukrainian war, even though people in the community here and people in news said that, no, Russia's not going to do this. They're just sending blood to the front lines. They do this every year. No, Russia's not going to uh, invade. They just send all of their uh, doctors and nurses to the front lines. We saw it coming. You saw it coming. But the news would not tell you so. So even though they say the media, the governments will have a heads up, they'll make sure that you don't. So this is happening in China and Taiwan. In a first, the Japanese fighter jets are confirming to have intercepted a Chinese high-flying drone, a WZ-7, over the East China Sea. This issue is reported to have sparked concerns on potential impacts on global trade as the region is a major hub for international commerce. This is according to the Taiwan Defense Ministry. In a warning, they say Beijing has repeatedly sent warplanes into the air defense identification zone. 13 Chinese aircraft were detected on a single uh, day in recent uh, recordings. The U.S. has a commitment to defend Taiwan's sovereignty and has previously sent military assets to the region to deter what the U.S. considers to be Chinese aggression. This move follows a series of large-scale military exercises that are being held by China in the region, including the simulation of island landings and live fire drills. This raises concerns, says one military strategist, of a conflict between China and the USA and what the potential for these conflicts will be for the rest of us. And then we have the Koreas as a uh, spark point. Over the past several months, tensions between North and South Korea are growing. North Korean provocation by the use of the launching of uh, near-completed ICBMs. The dynamic between the two countries is driven by a drive for war. These tensions aren't new, but historically, we will see war break out soon. And then we have, of course, Iran and Israel. When I tell you that the USA and Israel, they have a date. They have a deadline. I don't care what red lines they tell you in public press uh, briefings. I don't care what they say out in the open. The USA and Israel have a date that they will bomb Iran to glass. Why? There's so many different factors here. There's geopolitical factors, there's ideological factors, there's biblical or prophetic factors. There's all sorts of things playing out here. But what we know is that they have a date and they will attempt at least to bomb Iran and turn it into glass. Now, what does that mean for you and me? When the USA and Israel act on this, it's going to be a massive, massive change to worldwide geopolitics. It's going to be a change to what happens in the Strait. It's going to be a change to how one-time U.S. allies view the USA and how enemies view the USA. Now, will Israel and the USA uh, do this under some sort of guise of uh, you know, a third party? That's a possibility. Disease specialists are now saying that we have passed a point of no return in regard to disease spread. They say that 14% of every death on this planet, more than half, uh, half of all sepsis-related deaths, are associated now with bacterial pathogens. They warn that these microorganisms are continuing to cause disease in humans and animals 
at numbers that they have never seen before. When these pathogens become resistant to medicine, it means that we are going to have fewer and fewer people surviving the contractions of bacterial disease that they have than ever before. You know, before we had modern medicine, modern antibiotics, uh, antibiotics, somebody hurt themselves, they maybe lost a finger. Got worse, they lost an elbow. Got worse, they lost a shoulder. Got worse, they lost their life. And then we had these antibiotics, which were really miracles. Uh, you know, they, they had the ability to completely wipe out the good and the bad bacteria in a person's body, but mostly save them from sepsis or some sort of other disease progression. And now we have resistance to these bacteria. And I know this not just in a physical firsthand, but also through the documentation of data scientists and uh, virologists and bacteriologists all around the world. So here in Florida, here in much of the South, they will not even prescribe to you azithromycin or the common known ZPAC for most uh, bacterial disease. Why? It's so widely resistant to it that they have to prescribe two, three times. Sometimes they're pro uh, prescribing it in combination with other things, and now they just won't prescribe it in many cases at all. Now, why is this? Disease, uh, bacteria, antibacterial resistance. So what we have is a physical progression of something that is what I really bring back to just the world trying to regain control over mankind's ability to uh, you know, hold things in place. So we have an expectation of longer and more severe infections in the year 2023, warns disease experts. They say as pathogens are resistant to medicine, infections will take longer to resolve. They will be more severe, will lead to increased suffering, and you will see potentially life-threatening complications. We'll see healthcare costs, isn't that convenient, go up. Treating infections caused by uh, resistant pathogens will require more intensive and expensive specialized medical interventions. This will lead to individual cost increases. Now, speaking on health, according to a new study published by the journal eBioMedicine and the National Institute of Health, remaining hydrated, just that simple act. I told Kelly last night uh, before we ever saw this study come through that if you, you know, we keep uh, one of our Patreon cards, you know, every month we send out these newsletter, uh, a newsletter and survival cards to our Patreon viewers. One of the most used cards in my house are not just the recipes that we use every month. The kids go back to them, they make their own stuff. Kelly goes back to them, that's an easy recipe. We have them posted up on a magnet next to the uh, uh, refrigerator. Besides that, we use the urine chart that we made in one of our earlier months. It goes from uh, you know zero to one being mostly clear uh, urine and then progressing worse to the point where if you don't drink soon, you're going to suffer kidney damage. Most of the USA is dehydrated every single day. And actually, as part of Ayurveda and other medicine around the world, not Western medicine, they push hydration as the number one cure for a lot of disease. Because as you dehydrate yourself, your body just won't work like it's used to. So now we have more studies coming out showing that Staying hydrated is a lower risk of developing chronic disease and premature death. It analyzed 11,000 adults over the course of 30 years. It found that adults with a higher serum sodium level, which is an indicator of dehydration, 
they had the highest risk of developing heart failure, stroke, uh, AFib, peripheral artery disease, art uh, chronic lung disease, diabetes, and even in the brain, dementia. I watched a video recently of they showed a person sleeping uh, in a in a CT scan, and as the person slept in this CT scan, the spinal fluid washed over the brain. And you see it actually go up and wash the brain and go back down, and it cycles this and washes the brain. A lot of the physicians had no idea that this was even a function of process. So imagine the the amount of things that they don't know today. What we do know is that we were given what we need to live here on this planet. You eat good, you drink, you stay hydrated, do your chores, do your prep work, and then have fun. There's a Cuban influx right now in Florida. U.S. Park Service has been forced to close Florida islands because of it. In economic news, commercial banks are tightening their credit lending processes once again. According to a federal uh, survey, a portion of U.S. banks tightening their terms for loans and large businesses and commercial loans has risen to levels sometimes never seen before. Lending standards are changing. The tightening in standards by senior loan officers goes hand in hand with a full-on depression warrant one economist. And then we have a billionaire investor, Charles Munger. He says, stop complaining when speaking of people not being able to afford their home, their electricity, and their food bill. He says, everybody is five times better than they used to be. Interesting. I want to hit a viewer question before we finish out here. Mystic Creatures on YouTube says, question. The Greensburg, Kansas EF5 tornado took out not only my house, but also my town. As I was buried under my house alongside my parents and sister, on top of my two-year-old trying to protect her from rising waters from the burst pipes, I was trying to call 911 on my cell phone. Obviously, there was no service, no one on the other end of the line. Our exit was sealed off, and we had to find a hole to crawl out of the basement so that we wouldn't drown. We did find that hole, and we waded our way through knee-high water, hail, wind, and dark to a devastated hospital that we were able to uh, climb into despite their own damages. Eventually, other towns came together. They put together a triage system, and they rescued all of the people in my neighborhood that made it to the hospital, just like we did. There were more people that were much more severely injured than we were. They were rescued first. Then they pulled us out and transferred us to the nearest hospital 30 miles away. How do we prepare for devastating weather like this in an SHTF, they say? Do you think people will still come together and help each other? As a nurse, this person writes in, I know how much we rely on technology to save people in serious situations. So how do we prepare for this? I think about all the prepping food, the equipment that I have in my new house. The thought of SHTF happening is scary enough, but then thinking about how a devastating weather event could come along behind, wiping out all of my preps is concerning. I need to prepare for this scenario also. Mystic Creatures. Now, of course, we have no way to verify this. Uh, if you want to send in some information, some videos, some uh, pictures, that'd be great. We'll share them here on the community. But just taking your word for it, we know that these things happen. So there's no reason to discredit it or not 
uh, believe it. We know this happens around our world, and people want to believe that fatal car accidents don't happen, that tornadoes don't happen, earthquakes don't happen, wildfires will never affect them. But they do every day. Do you think the 10,000 plus lives lost in Japan thought a tsunami was going to come that week? No. You have to get as ready as you can. Now, do you need to run away every time a storm system comes because it might produce a tornado? That's your own risk mitigation processes. For me, you have a storm shelter. You remain technologically aware using, uh, you know, radios and comms. You have a plan. You try not to be out when you don't need to be. Risk mitigation. That's what we do here. So you just do your best. And once you've done your best, you question it, you look at it, you <coughs> test it, you say, okay, is this enough? And if it is, you put it away. And that's how we sleep good at night and we live to see another day. I want to thank you for sharing that personal testament of yours with this entire community. I'm glad that you and your family are safe. From my family to yours, please stay safe, remain vigilant, and keep watch. Don't forget to sub here at YouTube, Full Spectrum Survival. Leave a thumbs up on this video right here. Leave one comment and then go reply to someone's comment. If you're interested in long-term food storage, check out nutrientsurvival.com forward slash FSS. Use the code FSS15 until they tell us to change it. They'll give you 15% off. And contingencymedical.com. It's real antibiotics by real doctors. Use the code FSS10 for a discount there. Most of all, guys, do your chores, do your prep work, and then have fun. Stay safe. just decide, okay, we're going to be shutting this channel down or otherwise locking the account or what have you. They tend to do it during the summer and the winter months. That's usually when they carry out these attacks. My channel in particular has been attacked twice just in the last six months alone. And there are others that have been taken down altogether. A lot of you have said that, gee, Professor Truth, your YouTube channel ought to be much bigger than it is. And whenever people have said that, I've been hearing this for a decade and a half, whenever they say that, I usually respond with, no, my channel's actually about the right size. And do you want to know why that is? It's for two reasons. First of all, as you just saw in the last few days, two times in the last six months, you've seen why after 15 years, my presence is no larger on YouTube than it is. Because for 15 years, my channels have been under constant attack by white supremacy. And it's the people who run YouTube who have been largely leading the charge. They single out black voices. Why? Not because we violate any community guidelines, but because when you attack white supremacy, that makes a number of employees at YouTube mad. This has been going on for 15 years. This is done to ensure that black media never rises above a certain level. White supremacists like Steven Crowder and others are allowed to say whatever racist sewage they want, and YouTube says it doesn't violate any of their so-called community guidelines. People who mock the murder of George Floyd they're never removed on the grounds of targeting victims of a violent event. Nobody ever sits there and says, well, that's hate speech. Nobody ever does that to them. YouTube doesn't do that to them. So YouTube's making it clear that white supremacists are a protected group on this website. And that tells you everything you need to know about the people who run this website. And that brings me to the second reason why my channel is no bigger than it is. Because it's not supposed to be. 
I don't do this as entertainment, but that's what most people come to places like this for. What I do started out 15 years ago as a witness and a warning, and now that white supremacists are on the march and the onslaught has begun, what I and others have warned you was coming is now underway. So I've gone from warning to advocacy. Last summer, my channel was attacked because I posted a video about Will Smith being out of line for attacking Chris Rock at the Oscars. YouTube fraudulently placed a strike on the channel using the blatantly phony grounds that it was cyberbullying and harassment. So they accused my channel of cyberbullying or harassing Will Smith. Now that's impossible on his face. Will Smith is a public figure. You can't cyber bully a public figure, unless of course YouTube is also going to be attacking any and all videos, especially from these white media outlets talking about Will Smith and the Oscars slap. Because apparently if my talking about it constitutes cyber bullying, then everybody's does, has to. Now regardless of how you feel about the Will Smith Oscar fiasco, and I know that opinions here run the gamut and that's fine, but what we should all be in agreement about is that it's impossible to cyberbully Will Smith. He's a public figure, and people have opinions about public figures. That's just the way it works. Now, you'll recall that I appealed that fraudulent strike, and as I posted on my Twitter, YouTube originally sent me an email saying that the strike was an error and that they would remove it. But then, only 42 minutes later, I got a second email saying that the strike was valid all of a sudden and that it wouldn't be removed. So clearly what's happening to my channel isn't about community guidelines at all. There's a group of employees at YouTube who think it's their job to attack the new voices of black media, especially the thought leaders of this movement. When someone says that calling Will Smith out for slapping Chris Rock is cyberbullying, that's how you know the I'm white and I say so rule is in full effect at YouTube. Now as odious, malicious, and corrupt as that is, the problem is it's not new. It's par for the course here. And it was the entire reason that I set up a Twitter account. And just to make sure that everyone understood why I had done it, the same day I started my Twitter account, I pinned my first tweet to the board saying, if anything happens to my YouTube channel, this will be the rally point. I guess I should have said when, but you get the point. YouTube will do everything they can to disrupt us. So when they do, you should go to the Twitter account so you can find out what's going on and not miss out on any content. You know full well that I am not going to be missing any sort of postings. I do this stuff religiously, not missing anything. So if any posts get missed, you're supposed to immediately go, let me go to that Twitter. In fact, you should be checking in regularly there just to stay up to date. Now, I set up my Twitter account six years ago. So that's how long people have been regularly seeing the message that if anything happens where you don't see me posting on YouTube, you should go to Twitter and find out what's happening. Now, after YouTube locked my account following my Will Smith video, what happened was I saw a bunch of messages from people, many of them who had been following me for years, asking, where's the professor at? My videos all have my Twitter account listed, not just on the screen, but also a link in the description. So why didn't it occur to any of those people to check there? There's no excuse for that. Black people are not stupid, but the problem is, all too often, a number of us do things that make us look dumb. Okay, well, that was six months ago during the summer. And since practically all of you were subscribed to me then, you'll recall that after the seven-day lockout of my account lifted, I told everyone what to do. Once again, I reminded everybody what to do to ensure that you never miss any content or have to ask, where's Professor Truth at? Simply follow me on Twitter. That's it. I put the link in the description of all my videos, and I put it on the opening and closing graphics of all my videos. You can't miss it. 
Unfortunately, after I did that, in came the excuses from people explaining why that was just too much to ask. You have people who apparently feel that going to Twitter is just something that they're simply physically unable to do. Many tried to claim that, well, uh, I ain't got a Twitter account. Well, you'll be glad to know that you don't need one just to see someone's Twitter timeline. You can see Twitter posts without even having an account. All you got to do is go into Google and then put the person's name in there along with the word Twitter and their timeline shows up in the results. So you can read Twitter timelines without having an account. The only thing you can't do is post anything. And I start to think that maybe that's why I get so many of these people who complain about, well, I, I, I don't think I can follow you on Twitter. It's because they're more interested in posting their own comments than they are with any particular content. Now, I had hoped that after the debacle in the summer, people would finally be on the same page as to what to do because I had told them. Now, after this past week, what I saw was many of you are, and I'm grateful for that. Though it needs to be said, these were mostly people who were already with the program to begin with, but a lot of people are not. And yet for some people, not all, but enough, thank you, Mr. Harvey, posting the URL on every video and putting a link in the description of every video apparently wasn't explicit enough. I still saw people this last week posting, where's Professor Truth? Uh, is he on a break? Really? If you were one of those people, please unsubscribe from me. If it never occurred to you that when someone posts multiple social media links, that if you can't find them at one place, perhaps you can find them at the other one. If that's simply too baffling for you to figure out, then unsubscribe. You're more trouble than you're worth. And if you're too lazy to click a Twitter link, then there's no hope for you. There's three types of people who are still asking that kind of question at this late date. The people who are brand new to YouTube, and that's only a handful. The people who are too stupid to wonder if the Twitter link I post on every single one of my videos might give them more information on what I'm doing. And the lazy whose brains don't have enough cells for them to even have common sense. I don't post my Twitter URL because I'm trying to build a Twitter following. I do it so that the people who honestly want to get the content I deliver will always be in the loop and never miss out. I do it as a failsafe. I do it as a redundancy. The people who follow me on Twitter, they never have to ask where I'm at. I took some time off during late summer, but I told you weeks in advance that I wouldn't be posting. Nobody can say, well, the professor, is he on a break? A genius. I would not ever just decide to stop posting without letting people know well in advance. Don't be looking for any new content for this amount of time. At least no videos anyway, though I did put up one or two tweets just to keep the home fires burning. If YouTube's messing with my channel, which they always are, then you can go to my Twitter and find out exactly what's going on and where the videos are posted in the meanwhile. The folks who follow me on Twitter knew exactly what had happened moments after it occurred. They knew the very minute that YouTube started this with my account because I was posting there and they were seeing it. And they got the content without missing a beat. They still got their moment of truth. Hey, you need your professor truth fix, you can get it without skipping a beat. You'll always have the links posted there. And the same goes for my people on Patreon. They were also in the loop and didn't miss out on anything. Now, unfortunately, I can't do that with Cash App or PayPal because they don't allow users to post messages to the people who follow them. And I will say that fortunately, a lot of people did pay attention. So at least all of that nonsense from the summer that YouTube pulled at the very least resulted in people, more people than before, getting the memo. These are the people I want to keep in my circle because these are the people who make the task of facilitating and promoting the message of black empowerment easier and not harder. 
I'm not trying to drag anyone to black empowerment. If I have to keep repeating the same old information over and over and over again to someone, it's not that I haven't said it enough times. It's that we have people here who don't listen and that means they shouldn't be here in the first place. Let me repeat that because for those of you who weren't paying attention when I posted links every day, I'm sure you're gonna hear this and I'll bet that I only have to say it once for it to get through. The hood rats, the dusty dudes, the mushikas, the couch riding morons, and the lazy good-for-nothings who are just looking to be entertained. You never should have been here in the first place. And I don't want you here. You can unsubscribe or wait to be blocked. This isn't the place for you. And for those who are that type of person, I want you to hear it directly from me. If you're someone who actually had to ask at this late date, uh, where's Professor Truth? then you don't belong here. And I hope the people that this applies to don't like hearing that. There's a reason why we as a people are in the condition we're in. The large part of it is white supremacy. That's the truth. But the other part is that we have a lot of dysfunctional people around us. We got to cut them loose. A lot of black people are simply not ready for liberation and don't deserve to have it. You can't claim to be part of intelligent black society if you're too lazy to click a link or your brain never tells you that if someone posts an alternate social media account in front of you every single day, then if you don't see them for a couple of days, maybe you ought to go visit that link just to see if there's any additional information there. I guess this is why when I posted my videos about black men starting our own intelligence agency, a lot of viewers discounted that idea right off the bat. I'm better understanding now why I saw so many comments telling me that it's impossible or otherwise not feasible. Forget about sneaking their way into some white supremacist organization. These people are too obtuse to use common sense. A lot of black people say that they understand we're in a war, but you can tell the difference between the ones who honestly think that and the ones who don't. In war, you don't have the luxury of repeating instructions over and over and over. And people don't have the luxury of expecting that someone who has already said something a thousand times, who has posted it regularly, so it's the first thing you see, will then personally spoon feed the same message to some slackers who will post a comment asking a pointless question, but who apparently can't type a social media link, or worse, can't even move their finger on a mouse to click on a link. That's some next level lazy when someone's so shiftless that instead of taking half a second to click a link or to type in a URL to a Twitter page, instead they decide to post a comment and wait to see if someone's going to bring them the answer. It seems for some people that's just too much work. Everyone who comes here says they know of people who have been attacked on YouTube, who YouTube has had their channel suspended, or that it's happened to them personally. So when someone doesn't post, especially if it's somebody who you're used to having post from six days a week, but a few days goes by and they haven't posted, doesn't it make sense that maybe the reason they're not posting is because YouTube locked their account? I guess for some people, that's just not obvious enough, regardless of their personal experience of the website. And these are the same people who we see when we ask them how smart or diligent or hardworking they are. They'll tell you they're the smartest, most diligent, hardest working people in the room. And I know this is going to rub some people hearing it the wrong way, and that's good. That's the entire point. If you're angry at hearing this, that's because you know it's talking about you. If you're one of the people who comes to this place because you're looking for politically oriented entertainment, you need to keep on looking because you haven't found it. Let me make this very clear to the where's Professor Truth crowd. I don't want people around who can't be bothered to pay a lick of attention to anything. What are you good for? What can we do with someone like you? 
as Khalid Muhammad said, a Negro like that isn't taking us anywhere. So once again, make sure you follow me on Twitter, not because I'm trying to build some big Twitter following. I don't even post regularly on Twitter. I do it because Twitter is a rallying point. It's a place where you can reliably go to find out what's happening, just in case you don't see me post in a while. And if you see someone who asks, where's the professor at? Be sure to tear them a new one. We as a group need to establish a zero tolerance policy for lazy people. You know, Dr. Francis Chris Wilson talked about that, that a lot of black people are utterly oblivious to the world around them. A lot of black people are practically walking around in a daze, full time, clueless. And that this is why whenever you meet a black person, more often than not, the first thing that black person tends to say is, what's going on? Now, of course, most black folks mean that as a greeting, but as Dr. Chris Wilson explained, because her field is psychology, she explained it as also an expression of their deep mental state. She said that black people need to start waking up to the world around us and understanding this sick system that we live under and get realistic about ways to fight it. That way we won't have to constantly be asking, what's going on? See how that works? Why does all this matter? Well, family, you need to see the situation from the perspective of the people who bring you the content that you watch. When people like myself and TBA and Tariq and Tarin and Vicki Dillard and Your World and Lisa Cabrera and Philip Scott and others, when we say black media, we're not talking about ourselves. We're talking about you. For 15 years, I've told you that you are the prize that black advocates like myself and these white supremacists, along with their bootlicking minions, are fighting over. This is about you. This is a power struggle to see who will influence the black masses, who will influence you. White supremacy has long known that it's got the rest of the society under complete control. There's a lot of folks who've already signed on to the devil's bargain of white supremacy. But what they also know is that there is still this contingent in the society, a bunch of free radicals, if you will, who have the ability to bring it all down. That's you. The situation can go either way. That's the lesson of the reparations war that's going on right now. If the black masses focus and act like we're at war, then we're unstoppable. On the other hand, if the black masses decide to be lazy and casual, then we will become casualties. The white media's job is to lie to you, tell you everything's just fine, or at the very least things are getting better, so they don't need to do anything. And that way they can lull you into a false sense of security. They'll tell you everything's getting better all the time, right up until the moment that you're being thrown out in the streets or you're being killed. Because that's their job, to control you through disinformation. The enemy is discipline. Look at what happened when these white supremacists saw YouTube or anyone else trying to disrupt them. They went and set up alternate websites and alternate places, even alternate payment methods for themselves and their fellow racists to flock to. Now, sure, they have resources, but that's not the totality of why they were able to pull it off and able to create these alternate places for white supremacy to fester. You can have the most expensive, fanciest website ever made, but if people decide that they're not gonna go there, then it's useless. And they don't have to say it a million times. When these white supremacists set up something or go on the move or say we're migrating to such and such a place, they ain't got to repeat it endlessly. A few times is usually enough. And nobody's acting clueless and asking, hey, where's so-and-so white supremacists at? Or how do we find them? 
The white supremacists don't look at the anti-black racism they carry out as being entertainment. They see it as a war to wipe out the only thing that can end white privilege. We gotta be bluntly honest. If there's one major difference between these racists and the black grassroots, it's this. More of them actually see themselves as being in a war. Yes, a lot of us do, but not enough. That has to change and fast. Anyone who wants to be here has to stay sharp. It is the actions and reactions of you, the recipients of this information that matters most. That may seem counterintuitive, but it's not. What you do is far more important than anything I or any other new voice of black media can say. We will win or lose based entirely on your discipline. And as I told you, the definition of discipline according to the US Army is the willingness to put the goals of the organization ahead of your own personal desires. People who are lazy, immature, or simply looking to be entertained can't do that. And we can't afford to have them around. We don't have the luxury of time to drag everyone to black empowerment. We don't have the luxury of time to drag anyone to it. When you have these racists doing whatever they can to disrupt our program, nobody's going to keep circling back to retell people information that they've already been told every single day. When you show that you can receive instructions and get it the first time without having to be told repeatedly, what you're saying is you're disciplined, that you truly believe you're in an existential struggle with evil and that you take it seriously. Last summer was supposed to be a wake-up call for the people who are new here or who haven't followed me that long, which is pretty much the same thing. So the next time someone gets ready to post an inane comment asking, where's the professor at? Or I wonder if he's on a break. Stop, think, and read. Then you won't have to ask. We know that we're using platforms owned and controlled by white supremacy. The problem is this is where the people are at. A lot of you are on Twitter, probably most, when YouTube blocked me from posting how many people went there, if only to see what might be going on. I mention that because I hear constantly that we should migrate to another website altogether. I agree, that's all well and good, but we have to be realistic here. Most of us already have Twitter accounts. It's not some unknown website. But look how difficult it was to get people to go there just this week. Remember, what you do as the listenership is far more important than what people like myself do as mere mouthpieces. White supremacy is our biggest enemy. Don't you ever go getting confused on that. But the second biggest enemy is the internal dysfunction and laziness that too many of us have chosen to practice. Well, we don't practice dysfunction around here. Black empowerment is better than that. I guess the question that some of us need to ask ourselves is, are we better than that? Good day and be one. White supremacy dynamic is not only putting the black male in check, but it is to inferiorize the behavioral functioning in order to have that sense of look at them and I'm superior to them. I really feel genetically inadequate, but I get a psychological kick by seeing them in a very degraded state. We continue our Holy Day commemorations today, celebrating the life of the great queen of black scholarship, one of the grand master teachers, Dr. Francis Chris Wilson. Now this one is a little different because it was on January 2nd, seven years ago, when she ascended. 
but I don't think the ancestors do anything by accident. So her passing coming at the same time as the birth dates of so many others, I think it's a reminder to us to cherish these wise souls when they're with us and to remember them after they're gone. Because when you take your teachers for granted, you show that you weren't worthy of the lessons they tried to impart. Dr. Frances Cress Welsing was soft-spoken, but the truths she laid down were hard as steel and weighed tons. If Dr. Clark opened our eyes to what the enemy had done, Dr. Cress Welsing opened our eyes to what the enemy is thinking, not his words, but his thoughts, regardless of what he may say. She also placed great emphasis on how the oppression we've endured has affected us mentally as well. Destruction of a positive image of self that is developed in black children simply by looking at television or reading books. You see, where they don't see their image and the enhancement of their image, that and that's critical for brain computer function. You see, if, I, if I'm trained not to love and deeply regard myself, then my functioning is being cut in half. Dysfunction can come about in many ways. People can develop dysfunctions naturally, but one of the main ways that it happens is due to environmental factors. This is especially true if you're talking about dysfunction within a group. And we are without question not in control of our environment, though we know exactly who is. Now, the main thing that Dr. Chris Wilson is known for, at least in academic circles, is her theory of color confrontation. But let me tell you right now, black folks know it's not a theory at all. To say theory is to imply that the idea being put forward cannot be conclusively proven. When it comes to Dr. Cress Wilson's theory of color confrontation, there's nothing theoretical about it. You see, cold fusion is a theory, as is the Big Bang. People have ideas about these things, and there's some loose bits of data and what they try to call evidence, but nobody can prove the Big Bang happened because time machines don't exist. So there is no way to know for sure how the universe actually started, and it's not as if we can see any other universes forming in front of us, so we have no way of knowing if Big Bangs have ever occurred at all. But when it comes to the behavior of white supremacists, we see it all day, every day. They tell us that they don't want race mixing because it would destroy the white race. They make it clear they don't want black people around at all because, well, there's always the threat of race mixing just because black people exist. This is exactly what Dr. Chris Wilson has said. That's not a theory. That's a proven fact. And this sick mentality is evident in every arena of this society. Dr. Chris Wilson taught how it permeates everything the white supremacist creates in ways both subtle and direct. Just take a look at sports, for example. Golf, a game in which the objective is to put a white ball deep into the dark Mother Earth. Football, a game where a ball is kicked to go between two upright posts. And there's plenty of other examples of this white supremacist neuroses as well. For example, the white supremacist obsession with guns is because, as Dr. Chris Wilson explained, when pointed downward, a handgun resembles male genitals which is what's going through a white supremacist's mind when he calls his gun his equalizer. If black people in general, and black men in specific, had the ability to eliminate white supremacists through genetic annihilation, well, as the white supremacists see it, they have guns which gives them the ability to annihilate black people physically. This fixation saturates everything the white supremacist does. 
And before anyone claims that Dr. Creswell was reaching or drawing loose connections, keep in mind that this is something the white media and white figures themselves have admitted to. A great man once said that everything in life is about sex, except sex. Sex is about power. For the record, the person that Kevin Spacey was quoting was Oscar Wilde the famous Irish playwright. The TV show House of Cards is a political power fantasy for white males in which a middle-aged bordering on elderly white man is snubbed for a cabinet position, and so he sets about deviously undermining his own political party and eliminating all the people above him on the political ladder, and on more than one occasion, killing some of them, including the young woman in the video clip you saw, who he was having a sexual affair with, He's also depicted being involved in a bisexual threesome with his wife and a secret service agent. And what happens after all of this debauchery and murder and such? He successfully engineers a political scandal that drives the president out, enabling him to capture the presidency for himself. This is White Supremacy in a Nutshell. If life for black people is that no good deed goes unpunished, then for the dominant society, the lesson is no bad deed goes unrewarded. Take a look at some of the movies which white society loves most. Films like A Clockwork Orange, Psycho, American Psycho, Silence of the Lambs. In a lot of these movies, the overarching theme is one of sexual conquest or sexual confusion, or in most cases, both. So yes, Dr. Chris Wilson was absolutely right. Sex is something the white supremacists fixate on. And you better believe is at the front of their mind when he sees or even thinks about black people. It's why they talk about us all the time, at their own dinner tables, at their own private gatherings, even when around nothing but other white people. At settings where it makes absolutely no sense to be talking about black people, that's the main subject of conversation. Because the white supremacists have a problem. They're paranoia. And their paranoia is rooted in their recessive genes being easily erased. Whiteness is not merely an ethnographic modifier. It's also a unifying principle for those classified as white. But of course, the real glue that holds it all together is for those classified as white to have a constant reminder of how beneficial whiteness is by having a group who they can look at and either see as inferior in socioeconomic terms or whom they can look down on or both. Whiteness confers tangible as well as psychological benefits. You also manufacture a phony societal narrative where white is better than everyone else and the farther you get from white, the more inferior and worse treated in the society you are. So black people must be put at the bottom of the ladder. And if we are not there, then white supremacists have to attack us relentlessly until we are. All the white supremacist anti-black racist rantings are merely words meant to rationalize their fear of genetic annihilation. When you attack someone for absolutely no reason whatsoever, you have to make something up to try to justify it. You say that there's something wrong with those people, regardless of if there is or isn't. You claim that they commit all the crime. And when that lie is debunked, you claim, well, they're mentally inferior. But it's all a smokescreen, white smoke that is. As long as the attention is on black people as the face of crime, quote unquote, then nobody's paying attention to all the corporate crooks or the mass shootings or the serial killers who are overwhelmingly not black, by the way. As long as the white supremacists can begin and push phony conversations about black inferiority, they don't have to face up to how easily they can be genetically annihilated because that terrifies the hell out of them. 
They don't have to admit to how fragile their genes are. White cannot be superior when something as simple as having sex with somebody erases your genes. They know they can't fix it and they can't change it either. So to keep their minds off this reality, they've chosen to obsess over distracting themselves by pointing at blind people for no reason and saying there's something wrong with them. When in reality, the white supremacist, there's something wrong with me. Dr. Chris Wilson did more than practically anyone to put this truth on the table. She used phrases like racism, white supremacy all along. She wanted to make it clear what the problem was and where it was originating from. We broke the physical chains white supremacy placed on us, at least as far as the plantations went. But we still have yet to break the economic and psychological chains, and that is key to freeing ourselves. We cannot look at any of the trappings of this anti-black society as being precious. Dr. Cress Wilson wasn't reaching, and she wasn't wrong either. Her brilliance and discernment placed her in a class all by herself. I consider Dr. Chris Wilson part of the holy trinity of grandmaster teachers, right up there with Dr. Clark and Dr. Ben. She asked the tough questions and was strong enough to give this racist society the tough answers, too. You can't do anything but respect that. And we will do no less than to honor her. So on this day, the day of her ascension, we remember Dr. Francis Chris Wilson, the great queen of black scholarship the Grand Master Teacher. We thank you, Dr. Chris Wilson, and we will prove ourselves worthy of what you taught us. There are two things the European dares not live by. If he tries to live by them 24 hours, he is finished. That is Christianity and democracy. Because his civilization, his way of life, his power is based on things diametrically composed, diametrically opposed to those two things. Around here, we don't keep or cherish the holidays of our oppressors. Even so, January 1st would be a holiday regardless, no matter what, because it was on this day that the man who is, in my opinion, the greatest of our grandmaster teachers was born. And if you do consider this to be the start of a new year, then begin it the right way by remembering those who taught you to seek a new beginning. Dr. John Henry Clark came into this world on January 1st, 1915, in Union Springs, Alabama. It's often been said that an education isn't something you get in a classroom. An education is something that you give yourself. And Dr. Clark took that to heart. An autodidact, he immersed himself in the history of his people and dedicated his life to the fight against white supremacy that now plagues us. He recognized that you cannot achieve victory over an enemy unless you understand that enemy and understand yourself. And that's why he became a historian, which, as Malcolm Beautiful put it, is best qualified to reward our research. Dr. Clark's ability to breathe life, meaning, and insight into the past, combined with his unsurpassed skill in relating to the audience, gave him authority on every subject he endeavored to speak about. He gave us a number of the sayings that we routinely use, such as, all history is a current event, I only debate my equals, all others I teach, and my personal favorite, the essential selfishness of survival. And no commemoration to Dr. Clark would be complete without also mentioning his lifelong friend and colleague, Dr. Ben, both of whom spent decades in the academic and media trenches. Dr. Clark and Dr. Ben's friendship complemented each other so perfectly that even their birthdays are consecutive. 
Dr. Clark did so much and also contributed so much to the thought of areas that we've only now just begun to consider. For example, while we may want to think of intelligence gathering inside the black community as some novel idea, it's not. In fact, I got the idea from a lecture that Dr. Clark had given in which he mentioned in passing that back in the day, one of the organizations he had been a part of had paid out of their own pockets to send a couple of their own representatives to go to Africa and to report back to them on what was going on there. Dr. Clark knew better than to trust the white government or the white media. There is simply no substitute for having first person on the ground information being given to you by people who are operating in your interests. These things that we are ourselves still sorting out and putting on the table, Dr. Clark and his contemporaries had also addressed long ago. In fact, it was Dr. Ben who said that instead of black people being all happy that the white government gave themselves a day off and named it after Dr. King, instead of begging for a day, we should take a day. Power isn't given, it's taken. And when you make it a point to create your own holiday, that means you have to make it a point to be away from work, to plan some remembrance or other. You have to put in time, effort, and energy into it. You have to tell people about it. You have to sacrifice for it. And that makes sense. The word sacrifice comes from the Latin word sacred. It means to make holy. So when you choose of your own volition to make a holiday of your own, the sacrifice that you've made is what makes it holy. And that's why it's called a holy day or holiday. But only a people who have chosen to think and act for themselves can do that. Traditions don't start from the top down. They start from the soil, the grass roots, and permeate upwards from there. So in my own humble way, that's what I've tried to do, to reach out to the family and to emphasize how important it is to remember our heroes, our teachers, people who look like us, taught us, and fought for us. And please don't think of this as just some empty exercise. It's very easy for white power to make a holiday for Juneteenth because that is an event without a specific central message behind it. You just say slavery ended in Texas on this date. Now let's have a cookout. And people will do it without thinking. Well, Dr. Clark made it very clear why settling for empty gestures from the white government is a bad idea. He taught us that you don't ever make a demand of white supremacy that doesn't require them to give up their power. And it is the complete and utter imbalance of power that is at the heart of the evil we face today. Justice means balance. That's why I began yesterday's Dr. Ben Memorial tribute with his remarks about the Supreme Court statue and the blind lady with the uneven scales. This country is based on inequality. That was the entire point of it coming into being. So white supremacy could manufacture a society that would hand them a guaranteed outcome, regardless of their effort or the circumstances. Institutional injustice. That is the war that we are waging today. Fifteen years ago, I said that the mission of the black media is to take control of the cultural discourse within our community and to elevate the debate. A major part of the culture are the things we choose to honor and give esteem to. What is important to us? Who? is important to us. White power will never recognize our heroes and I don't want them to. If white power were to ever praise or lionize a Dr. Clark or a Dr. Francis Crest Wilson, then that would mean white power felt they had found a way to twist these grandmaster teachers' work and their message and to use it against us. Why would white power ever honor people who dedicated their lives to destroying white power? We don't want their approval and best of all, we don't need it. 
That was the central message Dr. Clark sought to teach his people, to control the resources and the means of production, to control the land we stand on and what happens there, to leverage what the earth gives us in order to guarantee that the original man and original woman are here to stay. We have a lot of work to do, and the job is not even half done, but it has started. Remember our heroes. Culture doesn't just spring up out of the ground. People have to decide for themselves what their way of life is going to be and what it's going to mean. Dr. Clark taught us a true telling of our history. He was a true spiritual and intellectual godfather to untold masses of black people he would never meet, yet whose message they would carry forward. Dr. Clark has been more influential in death than he had been in life, and that's how you know he was a man of true consequence. Human beings are only mortal. We live for a brief moment in time and then we're gone. No man, no matter how wise or strong, stands forever. And his deeds, no matter how great, are usually forgotten before he takes his final breath. But what that man stood for, that can endure for as long as his people exist, as long as there are those who appreciate the wisdom he had to offer. But that grand old man also bestowed on us a final gift to instill in us the mission to stand ourselves back up and move forward once more and to do it unapologetically. What I'm saying is that we need to practice the essential selfishness of survival. All of us need to ask and answer the question, how will our people stay on this earth? How will they be fed? How will they be clothed? How will they be answered? And the asking of the question, and the seeking of the answer. Maybe we will meet again at that fault of the road where we went wrong and read the signboards of history properly. And then we will straighten ourselves up and say, of course, that's the way home.